Today's episode of the Roger Hoover Podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and the Roger Hoover Podcast is proud to be part of the River City Rogue Podcast Network. For the best local blogs, vlogs, and podcasts on sports, culture, and entertainment, head to rivercityrogue.com. Bold views from the bold city and beyond. everybody, I'm Roger Hoover, and welcome to this episode of the Roger Hoover Podcast. I'm recording this from my Tuscaloosa, Alabama studios on December 29th, 2017, and yes, this will be the final podcast episode of this calendar year. Just looking back over the last year, some really outstanding conversations, getting to talk with people like Neil Price, Todd Helton, Courtney Lyle, Greg Byrne. Uh, We remembered Ken Sparks, legendary head football coach who passed away last March. We talked with Adam Cavalier, the voice of the Carson Newman Eagles, about him. Even visited with a Hall of Famer like Barry Larkin in April. Kendall Grayson, Brittany Wagner from Last Chance U on Netflix. And then baseball legend Jack McKeon in August. And then in September, we had a great conversation with Stuart Weber, our annual, what's becoming an annual tradition of previewing the Tennessee-Florida game, and then Mark Brunel, and we released that episode last week. And today, an episode with Stephanie Drake, an actress in Los Angeles who played Meredith on my favorite show of all time, Mad Men, a big hit on AMC, won as many awards as it possibly could have won, and really is regarded as one of the best television series of all time, especially one of the best television dramas of all time. So, a fun conversation is coming up with Stephanie talking about not only her career, but her time on Mad Men, learning the character of Meredith, and also what she is up to now. So, a really good conversation is coming up in just a few moments. Christmas holiday was extremely good. It was good to get back to Kingsport, Tennessee, have some time with friends and family. I appreciate everybody who has got in touch with me about Hoover Monopoly. It was a very fun edition of Hoover Monopoly. And yes, I was the first player to be eliminated from the game. I know a lot of you were disappointed to hear about that, but I didn't get a color group. I only had just a few random properties and just keep going around the board and had to keep paying rent. And uh, also we had a lot of houses and hotels get built uh, earlier in the game than normal. So uh, it was a very quick exit for me, but was able to keep everybody up to date on what was going on. And congratulations to Mike Hoover, my cousin Mike, who has now won four of the last five editions of Hoover Monopoly. So congratulations to him. He's starting to turn into the Nick Saban of our annual game on December 23rd, but really fun to uh, kind of keep everybody up to date on that. Uh, It's been something that I've been amazed by ever since I was in college, how people like the updates of the game, and it's turned into a fun uh, tradition on Twitter to go along with the family tradition that we have. Otherwise, Christmas, again, very good. I was lucky to First of all, just get back to Tennessee after a quick trip to Jacksonville from Alabama and then back to Tennessee. Uh, The last week had a lot of car issues, but those have been sorted out now and just had a really good time with my mom and dad. And uh, now it's going to be a lot of fun to celebrate the new year as well coming up this weekend in Tuscaloosa. 
Busy time for Alabama women's basketball. They closed out non-conference play with a good win last night over Florida A&M and knocked off the Christmas rust that some teams have in that final game before conference play. And conference play will be exciting starting on Sunday afternoon against Missouri. They are 16th ranked in the country. Have one of the best players not only in the SEC but in the entire nation in Sophie Cunningham. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see her in person. And Alabama has a great opportunity if they can get a win against Missouri. There could be some other wins coming up in the next few games for the Crimson Tide, so it would be huge for Christy Curry's basketball team to get off to a really good start. Otherwise, around Tuscaloosa, of course, everybody gearing up for the college football playoff. Alabama playing in the Sugar Bowl going up against Clemson, and will be the third matchup of that rivalry, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, the Crimson Tide can get a win and get another berth in the national championship game. And Alabama men's basketball tomorrow should be a great time at Coleman Coliseum, taking on fifth-ranked Texas A&M to start their conference play. So, a lot of excitement around those events. Really excited for a friend of mine right now. I'm actually recording this as I guess he's starting the first half, but I want to say congratulations to a good friend and somebody I had on the very first episode of the podcast, Darren Hedrick, who today is calling the Kentucky-Louisville basketball game on the UK Sports Network. Darren is now in the job that Neil Price used to have. Neil, we visited with him last January in the first podcast of the year. Neil is the longtime voice of Kentucky women's basketball and baseball. Neil gets the play-by-play job at Mississippi State, now the voice of Bulldog football and men's basketball, and he'll do a variety of other things for Mississippi State as their voice. So Darren left his job at Scranton-Wilkesbury, the AAA affiliate of the Yankees, and now he is in Neil's old post as the broadcaster for Kentucky women's basketball and baseball. And because Kentucky is playing a football bowl game today, Darren is getting to fill in for Tom Leach and get to call a Kentucky men's basketball game and what a way for him to make a debut uh, at Rupp Arena against Louisville and the in-state rivalry such a great rivalry between Kentucky and Louisville and after I'm done recording this look forward to listening to Darren especially in the second half but really excited for him Alabama will play Kentucky in a few weeks so probably probably will have a conversation with Darren coming up here soon on the podcast but just wanted to say how proud I am of Darren how excited I am that he has this opportunity opportunity to broadcast a Kentucky men's basketball game. All right, time for the interview with Stephanie Drake. And if you know me, you know I love the show Mad Men. I saw bits and pieces, saw some episodes of it in the early seasons, kind of here and there. My dad liked it. Sometimes I would see episodes on demand, but I really got into it one baseball offseason when I was able to binge watch the show on Netflix, caught up with the four seasons that I had missed, and then was able to catch the final three years of the show, uh, quote-unquote, live basically as they would appear on AMC because of baseball uh, didn't always get to see the episodes live but uh, typically would be able to watch it within a day or two thanks to on-demand services and was able to watch the finale uh, live as well and really all of the last uh, part of season seven the second half I was able to see pretty much all of those episodes live and uh, it's no doubt my favorite show of all time it's a show that not only I've watched but I've re-watched two or three times and even uh, after a baseball game's over it's 
tough for me, even if it's a night game, to go back to the hotel and just fall asleep, even though that's the time of night when you should be falling asleep. So typically I do some work or I watch an episode of a show I've typically watched before, uh, like Mad Men, to kind of unwind, and then I'm basically ready to go to bed after that. But uh, I love Mad Men, and I always enjoyed seeing Stephanie Drake on Mad Men play Meredith, who turned out to be Don Draper's last secretary, and she did a tremendous job, added some real comedic relief to some very emotionally heavy episodes, and she was always a breath of fresh air when I watched the show. So, reached out to her. We were able to have a conversation last week, and I think you all will really enjoy hearing from Stephanie Drake, who portrayed Meredith on AMC's Mad Men. Well, going back, what made you first interested in acting? When I was... Seven, my dad took me to New York and he took me to my first Broadway show and it's so cliche but I really did catch the acting bug when I was sitting in that theater he took me to see Phantom of the Opera and I just fell in love with everything about the performance the theater the music everything and from that moment on I said I'm gonna be an actress and I'm actually doing it. And from there, I got to go to a performing arts high school in Baltimore where I grew up. And that brought me out to college out here in L.A. I went to USC. And from there, you know, it's just building a career. It takes a long time. (laughs) No doubt about it. And you mentioned you had that uh, initial catching of the bug when you saw Phantom of the Opera. Do you remember some of the Mm -hmm. first plays that you performed in or musicals, anything like that when you were younger? Most of the stuff I did was in high school. Let's see, we did a lot of Shakespeare. Macbeth is standing out in my head. Um, I never really did any of the musicals. I can sing, but I'm not that good of a singer. That's probably the main reason why I didn't go to New York. I knew, and I definitely can't dance. Oh my gosh. But (laughs) I knew I wanted to do um, film and television where you don't have to sing. So I never did any musicals, but I did. Oh, well, that's not true. I was a part of this group in Baltimore called the Young Actors Theater. And I was in a few musicals. I got to play Snoopy in the Broadway in the musical Snoopy and a couple other ones. And then what else was I in? I did the very first play I was in was a doll's house in ninth grade. I had two lines at the very beginning of the show. And then I just sat backstage for like two hours. But it was super exciting because I was the only freshman to get into the play. That's outstanding. It's learned Ibsen right <laughs> off the bat. Yeah, it's starting strong. <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, you went to University of Southern California and started to perform mm-hmm. there and learn acting. Were you actively seeking out roles and uh, going for auditions during that time as well? No, not professionally. I really did want to just go to college and have that whole experience. And I did some theater there and, but I also joined a sorority and I loved going to football games and I just really wanted that. And then once I graduated, that's when I started actively pursuing 
Do you feel a like career. do you feel like that helped you kind of figure out the lay of the land a little bit more before you jumped in? It definitely helped in re- in the fact that it got me to LA and I started learning my way around the city cuz it's extremely intimidating. Um and it definitely it got me my group of friends. So once I graduated I had my group of friends. I knew exactly what part of town I wanted to live in. In that regard, it definitely helped. Acting-wise, not so much. Like, they don't really, like, say, like, when you graduate, they're not like, oh, here's the path you will take to become an actor. You just kind of have to figure that out for yourself. And what were the some of the early steps you took after your graduation to become an actor? Well, I got a job, I got a day job because I had to pay my rent. So I started working in retail. And from there, let's see, I joined a theater company thinking that someone would come and see me in a play and then give me a job. But no one ever came to see the plays except my friends. (laughs) And... um, (laughs) I mean, I definitely struggled for a few years. They, There really is no set path to this career. So everyone's journey is so different. But I eventually got into an acting class where the teacher mentioned that an agency was looking for interns. And I signed up and started interning at this agency And after about six months, I asked if I could read for them. And at this point, I wasn't in the union or anything. But because I'd been interning there, they got to know me. And they signed me on commercially at first. And from there, I started booking commercials. And then they eventually took me on theatrically. I joined the union. And that's when I booked Mad Men. And I'm actually still with this agency for commercials. Yeah, and you did a lot, of, a lot of commercials, uh, Holiday Inn mm-hmm. Express, Target, Red Robin, Rock Band, Beau Rivage, and I imagine the Holiday Inn Express commercials are a lot of fun because you got to meet and interact with Rob Riggle. Yes, he's amazing. Those were so much fun. So much fun. He's great. <laughs> he keep you laughing uh, even if we were in between takes, things like that? Oh my gosh, yes. Everything <laughs> he says is funny. <laughs> <laughs> so some good commercial exposure at that point. Were you starting to feel like things were trending in the right direction for you? Yeah, I mean, a job here leads to another job there. Um, at that time, since that was all I was doing, it was super exciting. And I did feel like I was starting to get some momentum. Um, and then, but at that point, like I hadn't really had that many auditions for TV shows or films or anything like that. So when this Mad Men audition came around, it was like, whoa, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Um, I remember I even had a date like set up for the night before that I canceled on the guy because I had to prepare for my Mad Men audition. And thank goodness I did because I was super prepared. And that was my first TV job. Yeah, in the audition, did you read for Meredith or did you just have some general lines, general scenes you worked on, or were you going over some of the lines you would eventually have? Yeah, the audition scene was my very first scene on the show where Joan comes in with the baby and I'm sitting at the reception desk. But they would change the lines and the... 
some of the details so we didn't really know what was going on. And I think all the names were changed because they're so secretive sure. on that show. But that was the audition scene. So it was about a page and a half. And um, yeah. How much it did you know crazy. about Mad Men going into the audition? Not much. I had never watched the show. My parents were big fans and they would talk about it. But I really had no interest in watching it for some reason. And the night before my audition, I watched the last episode of season three on demand. And I was like, oh, okay, this show's cool. I really didn't know what was going on, but I loved the style of it, the tone of it. And once I got the part, then I went back to the very beginning and watched all four seasons within probably a week. <laughs> yeah, I did something similar. I had seen some episodes here and there. I know my dad had seen it. I had a few friends that had seen it. And I just, I, you know, caught some episodes here and there. But it wasn't until I had one baseball off season where I was able to, uh, <laughs> like you said, binge watch all through. I think I did the first four seasons and then caught up, I guess, until you came on the show is when I started mm -hmm. watching it live on AMC. But talking to a lot of people who have experienced the show in the same way, I think people that binge watch and went through Netflix for the early seasons and then caught it live. I think they almost enjoy the show a little more just because they were able to have that on-demand experience. And you know, Madwin was one of the first shows to kind of be on-demand like that and then still mm -hmm. have episodes after. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably the first show that in Downton Abbey, I remember binge watching. Um, that was like the beginning of binge watching. And what did you learn about Mad Men when you were able to go back and watch all of those episodes leading up to when you would be on the show? What did I learn? I mean, I learned all the characters' names, <laughs> which was good, because I'd be on set and be like, who do they want me to look at? I don't know. I don't know anyone's names. Um, and, I mean, obviously, like, the just, gosh, there was so much backstory to everyone's characters that I didn't know upon, you know, my very first episode, um, which was just so much fun to see and to see, especially like, so when I first started, Jessica Pare, who played Megan Draper, I didn't know how her character got to be Dawn's wife. Like, I had no idea when I met her. She was like, oh, I, I play Megan. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, but I had no idea, like, how big her character had gotten just from one season. You know, I mean, she started season four and had, like, a few things here and there. And then her part grew. And, of course, I was like, oh, maybe that will happen to me, too. <laughs> well, it was the same job. Receptionist is what how Megan started. Exactly. So, and then there you come I know. in. <laughs> I thought maybe I'd be his... Um, end up being his wife but in the end I'm glad that didn't happen because <laughs> I probably wouldn't have been on the show very long <laughs> right well you get to be a part of the show uh, you mentioned starting with season five you barely helped Joan in a reception and uh, <laughs> when I took a look back at it recently uh, you made the line that you said you're very satisfied happy being nobody here and mm -hmm. you look at that to the way Meredith kind of evolved over the next few seasons that certainly wasn't the case for her she became somebody I know. It's interesting how that happens. She really came into her own. And I think it was once she started 
being on Don's desk, being his secretary, that she kind of found her footing and realized that she has a voice and she wants to be a part of things. And not only did she have that kind of awkward interaction with Joan, allowing her to get in the door with the <laughs> baby carriage, but even at the end of the episode, I think you provided some of the best comedic relief possible when you bring in the African <laughs> artifacts to oh show gosh, uh, the partners yeah. in the lobby, and you say, yes, I'm positive. Uh, that must have been fun to shoot with all of those guys. Oh, my gosh. It was so much fun. I mean, that was maybe my fourth day on set, and here I am working with all the like main guys of the show, I was freaking out inside. And I, I blush really easily. So, so I don't remember quite what, ha like what happened, but at one point my face got so red and everyone was just like, oh, look at her, which makes my face even more red. <laughs> oh, it was so embarrassing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, John Hamm just, like, saw me blush. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had a great moment in that episode. And also, I'm sure everyone talks to you about the Christmas Waltz episode where uh, Joan throws the airplane at you. Uh, <laughs> just tell me about that scene and what kind of your feeling was leading into it, knowing that that airplane was going to be coming at you at some point. So they had actually hired a stunt double for me for that day, for that scene. And she was there the whole time. We never ended up using her. But And there was a stunt coordinator as well because they weren't quite sure how it was going to play out, like how dangerous it was actually going to be with the airplane coming down on the desk. So they were fully prepared, which was comforting for me. Um, but then once we started, the stunt coordinator told Christina exactly where to throw it he gave her a point on the desk where to throw the airplane so once we did it once and they had a bunch of the model airplanes set up um, in the props waiting to come in and we did it a few times and I never felt uncomfortable the pieces would go kind of all over the place which you know was great for a spontaneous reaction but I never felt uncomfortable or anything like that. And I thought the the scene turned out great. Yeah, I it's one of the most scene. talked about scenes, not only for you, but a lot of people point to that as one of Christina's best scenes in the whole series. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It was great. And she is just amazing to watch and the nicest, the nicest person. Well, you mentioned that this was your first TV show that you had booked. Was that pretty rare among the secretaries and uh, other cast members to have it Mad Men be their very first show? You know, I don't know. I probably, but I'm not sure. I don't know how much everyone else had done prior to being on the show. Um, I don't think anyone could tell it was my first show. At least I hope not, but... It was certainly the best way. I mean, my gosh, it was like a master class in how to be on a TV show. Yeah, and you were still going to your acting class at the same time. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be, it was funny when I would be on set shooting. I think my acting class was on a Monday night at that point, and it was a Monday, and it was coming around like five o'clock at night, and I could tell I wasn't going to get out in time. I remember saying to someone, oh, I'm going to miss my acting class, and they just looked at me, and they were like, you are in acting <laughs> class. <laughs> You're doing the like, actual yeah, good work. point. It's okay. It's okay <laughs> that I miss. 
Well, you mentioned uh, your role got bigger as time went along, even to being Don's secretary when he comes back to the agency in uh, the seventh season. And in the final episode of the first half of the season, you had one of the weightier scenes <laughs> in that entire season uh, when you sit Don down and tell him that, uh, of course, you got the letter that said uh, the attorneys are looking to fire him. Uh, what can you remember about that scene and shooting that? And, of course, I guess a moment that everybody asked you about when you got to kiss Don Drake. <laughs> And John Hamm. Oh gosh, let's see. It seems like so long ago now. Um, we had the table read, and Matt Weiner came up to me afterwards and said, "We're shooting this tomorrow. Be ready." And I was like, oh, "Of course, I'm going to be ready. Um, this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me." <laughs> so the very next day, we shot that scene, and what I remember was I was really nervous and Matt was also directing that episode which adds an extra level to nerves because you want to he's the big boss you want to do a good job so we ran through it we did just a rehearsal of it and I go in to kiss him and everyone that's watching just kind of like chuckles (laughs) (laughs) everyone's like like little snickers here and there Because it's so funny and super awkward when you're just rehearsing it. And once we did the rehearsal, after that, my nerves completely went away. And we must have done it, I don't know, probably a dozen times. And every time it was, it was great. I mean, John was just such a nice scene partner and super supportive and let me do my thing and... It was, it really was, it was a wonderful experience. And after we finished, he gave me a hug, Matt gave me a hug. And then I went and got on an airplane to go visit my new nephew. I mean, it was like a whirlwind. It really was, but it was wonderful. You mentioned uh, Matthew Weiner being, uh, of course, the director for that episode. And a Mm -hmm. lot of people have talked about how hands-on he was with every single detail of the production. Is that something you saw as an actor on that stage? Definitely. He was super hands-on. I mean, he would just kind of show up at random times um, if he wasn't directing, just to see what was going on and make sh- making sure everything was going well. And I mean, he was in my audition, so he was very hands-on with casting and everything. It was his show, so I can see why he wanted to be. Um, but yeah, he made sure it ran like a well-oiled machine. And that's got to be fun to be a part of a production where everybody is so passionate. By the time you got on the show, it had had some success already, had won some Emmys, things like that. So I imagine the last three years, just everybody was so on board to making the best product possible. Definitely. So when I started, it was it had been a year and a half since the show had been on because that's when they were deciding if the show was coming back. I think there were like issues with contracts and things like that. No one was really sure if it was going to happen again. So I remember when I came in for the table read for that very first episode of season five, everyone was just thrilled to be back and have a job. And it was always great to come to set. Everyone wanted to be there. Everyone knew how amazing this show was and how lucky we were to be a part of it. 
Well, in the last season as well, uh, you got to uh, be part of the season finale, the series finale. Uh, even had your character had to uh, cover for Dawn with the biggest boss, McCann Erickson, at one point. <laughs> and uh, I think even in the last episode, it seemed like we saw, or the last several episodes, we saw more of Meredith's personality. Not only was she a you know very good secretary, but she could also be an interior designer, and she was taking <laughs> yeah. over like every aspect of Dawn's life. Uh, you had to have fun with that part of it. Oh yeah, I've. It's been so long since I've seen these episodes. I I forgot about that. I was going to decorate his whole apartment for right. him. Um, you had a lot of yeah, options for I him. Had, yeah, um, we did find out a lot about Meredith. I was in. She was an army brat. Um, she yeah, her love for interior design. I think she just yeah. It seems like she just wanted to make his life as easy as possible, and I enjoyed doing it. Were you happy with the way that the Meredith's time on the show ended? Yes. So, excuse me. After episode, um, what was it? There were 14, so it must have been episode 12. Matt told me that that was my final episode. And, of course, I was sad, but hey, I mean, I made it almost to the very end. And then I got a call from my agent probably a week later saying that I was on hold for episode 14 and I was like oh my gosh I get to be in the last episode I couldn't believe it <clears throat> so there I am at the very end and I had the best little like last scene wrap up it was such great closure for the three years that I'd been on it and such a nice surprise. Cause I didn't think I was going to be in it at all, especially after Matt had told me that. So, but he told me that he just felt like Meredith really deserved a, a goodbye. That's excellent. You got to have a great mm -hmm. final scene with John Slattery yeah. and uh, turned out very well. And uh, after all the uh, shooting had wrapped, you were able to watch all the episodes, as I'm sure, as they came on AMC. Was it exhilarating to see those final episodes come on AMC live? It was. It really was. I think I watched. So the very last episode, they had a viewing party at the Ace Hotel downtown where there, there's a huge theater attached to it <clears throat> and they sold tickets to Mad Men fans and whoever wanted to come and the cast and a bunch of the crew were there so I got to watch that final episode with I don't know there had to have been a thousand people oh, there wow. I mean it was a huge theater I don't know if there's that many but it was a huge theater and people were laughing and I even got like some applause after I walked off camera it was the best way to see that final episode <laughs> well, it's been a several years, like we mentioned, it's been at least two years since mm -hmm. the show uh, completely wrapped up. Are, are a lot of people still coming up to you and talking about how much they enjoyed the show and enjoyed your work as Meredith? Yeah, they are. I think it's going to hopefully be one of those shows and parts that people remember for a really long time. Um, I certainly never get recognized walking down the street, but if I'm, I usually at an audition or something and 
people recognize my voice before they recognize my face. <laughs> um, they'll definitely say like how much they love the show, which is always nice to hear. And then what was next for you after Mad Men came to a close? Um, what was next? I believe after that, I did Fear, Inc., which is a um, horror comedy feature that premiered at Tribeca Film Festival last year. And since then, these horror comedies seem to be my thing. I've shot two more since then. They should be coming out next year. And a few things here and there, but uh, mostly film. I haven't done that much TV post-Mad Men, actually. And now you're getting even ready to do something that is a film, but it's something that you're doing on your own. What can you tell us about the After Meredith Project? So for the longest time, people have been telling me to create my own content, especially when things are slow and not much is going on. And I would always say, oh, yeah, sure, but I don't like writing and I don't want to do that. And I don't even know where to start. And I put I mean, I ignored it for so long. And then a few months ago, I was sitting on my couch, bored out of my mind. And I was like, you know what? I have an idea. I'm going to do something. And it took me about two days to write it. And we're, yeah, we're shooting it in January in just a couple of weeks. And I'm so excited. This is the first time I've ever done anything like this. It's been quite a learning experience already. And I think it's going to be great. Is it going to be a short film or is it going to be mm-hmm. a little long? How long of a film are we expecting? It's 10 pages long, so it should be about anywhere from 9 to 10 minutes. And it's a comedy. And it's loosely based on my life directly after I finished working on Mad Men. I had all this free time all of a sudden and I had no idea what to do with myself. So I started volunteering through this program in West Hollywood and where they match you up with an elderly person. And I got matched up with this woman and for two years I would go and hang out with her and take her to Trader Joe's and the bank. And we developed this lovely little relationship. So it's loosely based on that. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun, and a lot mm-hmm. of Mad Men fans have been able to help you out with this project. You announced a Kickstarter campaign, and I know you've already been blown away by the response from people. Oh my gosh, it's been amazing. I started the Kickstarter. I put the goal really low. I put it at $1,000, thinking that no one would give me any money. I think I hit that goal in three days, which was incredible. And then I upped it to 2000, which we've already hit as well. And I'm like, well, let's see how much more we can raise. Um, Because it's it's expensive to make a short film, even though it's only 10 minutes. It it costs a lot of money. But it's the outpour of support has been surprising and wonderful. I mean, I've been hearing from people I haven't heard from in years. Well, that's really exciting, and I Mm -hmm. encourage everyone to check it out. It's all over your uh, Twitter account, Instagram account as well, and uh, find it on Kickstarter, and certainly help Stephanie uh, have this goal and make this film. And uh, you say you shoot in January. When are you hoping that After Meredith will come out? I'm not sure. I... mm as I said, like, since this is the first time I'm doing this, I don't know how we're doing a three day shoot. 
and I'm not sure how long it takes to edit and all the post-production, but I'm hoping maybe it will be done by March or April. And then the plan is to submit it to some festivals and see, see if we can get some traction with it. We'll see how it goes. Well, that is awesome. Again, after Meredith, you can find it on Kickstarter. And uh, Stephanie, we have just enjoyed this conversation, uh, getting to hear about your Mad Men experiences and what's up next for you. And uh, I know you got to be really excited about what the next year holds for you. I am so excited for next year. It's going to be a good one. Well, thank you for joining us. Best of luck to you. Thank you. All right, a real fun conversation with Stephanie Drake. I hope everyone will contribute to her Kickstarter campaign and help her put her dreams into reality with this short film after Meredith. I think it's going to turn out very well, and her future is extremely bright in this industry. So thanks again to Stephanie for joining me, and hopefully we'll have more podcasts like this in the future dealing with some figures from entertainment to go along with a lot of the sports people that we talk to. But really fun conversation with Stephanie, who did such an amazing job on my favorite show, Mad Men. All right, time to wrap up the podcast. I'm going to listen to Darren Sum as he gets to call the Kentucky men's basketball game today against Louisville, but it should be a fun weekend. I'm looking forward to celebrating New Year's Eve with my girlfriend Lansy here in Tuscaloosa. It should be a tremendous time. I love the end of the year, starting the brand new year, and the next time we have a podcast, it will be in 2018, and still to be determined who the guest will be for next week. Again, it's one of my New Year's resolutions to have more podcasts, keep but more regular even as the baseball and basketball seasons get as crazy as they are. Still want to bring you some good episodes and hopefully we'll have a good guest for you either on Thursday or Friday of next week. So just stay tuned for that. Uh, Again, all the previous episodes are available to listen to for free on SoundCloud, on iTunes. They're all available. Uh, You can go back through. Please rate and review and should have some really good guests coming up in 2018. But for now, it's time to close out the Roger Hoover podcast for 2017. I thank all of you for listening. And until next time, play the waltz, Roy. I remember the night and the Tennessee waltz. Only you know how much I have lost. Yes, I lost my little darling the night there.